Yo, taste buds, you know what time it is. Bracket time. We're in the middle of March. There's no wrong way to pick teams with Yahoo Sports Tourney. Pick them all through the Yahoo Fantasy app. Joining a public group or create a group or join Draymond Green's group. I'm going to do that for a shot at $25,000. Don't miss out on March Madness. Get your bracket in before the games tip off March the 15th. Build your own bracket now at yahoo.com slash tourney2018. Yahoo.com slash tourney2018. Today's show also brought to you by Joule, the sous vide by Chef Steps. My friends, you expect precision from your smart thermostat, your camera, even the drone that you may have bought for your kids. Why settle for less when you cook? The Joule sous vide uses precise temperature control. And the trademarked Visual Doneness Guide, capital V, Visual Capital D, Doneness Guide to cook food exactly the way you want it. Joule, perfect food every time. To get yours, visit chefsteps.com slash Joule and use the code CARBS to get $15 off for a limited time. That's chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E code CARBS. Carbs, do it, taste buds. Make sure you are listening to all that is available on the Ringer Podcast Network right now. One Shining Podcast is putting out basically a new podcast a day. We are right in the heart of March Madness. The brackets are being defined as we speak. Get in there with Tate and Titus and get the hottest takes on what's going down with March Madness. Also, this week. On the rewatchables, the Big Lebowski. Now that's a classic. I think the 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 people out there have been dying for this one. The the rewatchables podcast, and now it's time for House of Carbs. <laughs> My podcast pals, my hungry homies, welcome back to another edition of House of Carbs, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. This is the food podcast for the hungry people, by the hungry people, and I am your hungry host, Joe House. This week on House of Carbs, my pals, we have takes, Ringer takes, joining us from One Shining Podcast, Mark Titus. And the Chief Craig Gaines are on to tell us a little bit about their strategies for March Madness food. A really underrated thing to think about for a March Madness bar (laughs) is sunlight. Because we have Andy Greenwald on this week covering the Top Chef finale. It is a cold world for media, but at least you got to eat that spoon bread. (laughs) And of course, Food News with Juliet Littman. I will not set foot in your restaurant if you have a mother effing robot having anything to do with the preparation of the food. Now let's get into that belly with Titus and the Chief. All right, my hungry homies, my taste buds, my culinary comrades, it is rapidly approaching the middle of March, which means one thing. March mother effing madness. <laughs> I have on the show joining me today 
two resident experts from The Ringer. Very special guest, a, a genuine expert, author of the 2012 smash hit, Don't Put Me In Coach, my incredible NCAA journey from the end of the bench to the end of the bench, writer and co-host of The One Shining Podcast, Mark Titus, what's happening, my brother? I'm doing fantastic, House. I'm glad your Wikipedia machine was working well this morning, that you dug all that up. That's on it. That, that's how we do it. That's how we do it here in House of Carbs. We're strictly wiki, brother. Also joining us, we, you, you, you may recall from the fall, he came in and sat down with us. We tried to set all of you up with an outstanding uh, food viewing experience as you ventured into the sports bars for the NFL season. Our resident copy editor, the chief, Craig Gaines. What up? What's up, House? I think we did a great job for the people last time, and um, I think we're going to set them up real nice this time as well. I agree with you. So let's get right into it. My very first question for you two gentlemen, and I, I uh, we haven't gone through these questions in advance, so I'm expecting a robust Live wire here. Uh, discussion with divergent opinions. In the first place... Are you guys home base viewers of the NCAA tournament, or do you like to go out to watch the first weekend of the tournament? I am 100% a home guy. Uh, I I take every TV in my house that I own. I pop them off the wall. That most of them are mounted. I pop them off the wall. Try to dig up wherever wherever the stand was that that I threw away when I mounted them, um, and then I set up as many TVs as possible in my basement. Uh, I haven't sprung for the multiple TV setup yet. Um, but but I'm, we're gonna like like permanently. But that's the goal. That's the dream is to eventually have the man cave set up where it's like I don't need to get all the TVs. But that's that's always the, the thing. I sit there, I I lay on my couch for 14 straight hours, consume every ounce of basketball. It feels like my eyes are gonna bleed. Go to bed and then wake up and do it all over again the next day. It's the greatest. It's the greatest weekend in sports. We're gonna let the the chief chime in. But but first, Titus, that means that in terms of your food plan, mm-hmm. you are either having already filled your refrigerator with easily obtained uh you know nu- nutrition that's the smallest end possible uh or you are ordering in through multiple rounds wh- yeah. which is it i i usually order in uh i'm a sucker for the uh I always feel like March Madness is around the time Pizza Hut starts getting creative, and I become a sucker for their oh. marketing, or they're like uh, the, the five dollar box or whatever. Or maybe that was Taco Bell that did the five dollar box. Pizza did like Pizza Hut did this one box one year where they had like three shelves of just pizza concoctions, <laughs> and it looks so disgusting. But I was like, I can't move, and I live in rural Ohio, and how many places are going to deliver to me? I guess I'm getting Pizza Hut today. Yeah. Uh, I, I throw my health out the window in March Madness. It's 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 a sad state of affairs, man. I, I put on so much weight. I, I kind of just go into survival mode of just whatever there is available, I'm eating it because I'm sure as hell not leaving my couch. I'm sure as hell not going to stop watching basketball to go get nutrients. Um, so mm. just whatever's convenient, whatever's there, whatever can be delivered to me, which unfortunately Ohio is, is a very limited s- selection. Well, we're gonna we're gonna work on that. We have our pals at Caviar who are taking over the world in terms of food delivery. But mm-hmm. but before we uh, go any further with that, let's let the chief chime in, Craig. Let's let's hear your take on on the first couple of days of the of the tournament. I mean, this is the central question because you're talking about. I mean. The first two days, is it like, what, 14 hours of basketball yeah, or something yeah, like that? Yeah. So if you're in a bar for the whole time, one, you'll go broke, two, you might not survive. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like to do a blend, honestly. 
there and every year it's a little bit different. Do I start in the bar and burn myself out and then I have to recover at home? Or do I strategically watch the first few rounds at home, build up some strength and then go out to the bar? And it's it's you know, I think everyone has their their different approach. Um, I like to go out to a bar uh, for at least some of the rounds, just because it's a blast and it's just, it's, it's sensory overload. You know, I mean, you have all the screens everywhere. You have, you know, food just like at your, at your fingertips the whole time you have a nice tap selection. If you've made the right choice in, in bar, I think a really underrated thing to think about for a March madness bar (laughs) is sunlight because (laughs) if you're in a completely dark bar for you know really even if you're not there for the whole time even if you're there for like six or eight hours i mean that's that's just not good for your health Mm -hmm. so you have to really like think very strategically about where you're going to go but I, i would say that especially for the first weekend when there's just so much basketball you really have to sort of like set a base at home or at the office if you work in a place that's friendly to that. And then once it gets down to a manageable level, then go out to the bar and then, you know, blow uh, some money on some wings and beer and and hang out, hang out with your friends. Yeah. So I, I like that. I, that I would have to say that uh, I personally am kind of uh, in that blend model, which is, you know, consuming, kind of the first uh, suite of games from either, most of the time it's from my office. Uh, and, you know, the, this day and age with the fantastic technology, yep. you can sit at your computer and, uh, you know, you, you have the escape button right, handy at all times so nobody can cut, creep up on you over your shoulder. But the the uh, interesting thing um, for me, so I, I would say, that the uh, observation about sunlight, um, Craig, I would take issue with that. If, if if there's ever a time to just suck it up and go dark, it's it's this tournament. Like it's okay to be out of the sunlight for eight hours uh, and let yourself be submerged, fully immersed in the hoops, uh, the beers, and the and the foods. And I kind of like the idea of coming out bleary eyed at the end of it. I mean that that's the whole experience. I think Titus, when you're when you're down in that basement. Uh, yeah. surrounded by the TVs you have when you come back up for air what is that experience like it's it's unbelievable it feels like you've been living in, in on a different planet you you feel like um the reason I don't want to go to a bar is because the, the, I think that's the reason I like staying home is because when I go to a bar I feel like there's other things going on in the world sure and there will be somebody else at the bar who there, there's inevitably going to be at least one person there who's not watching basketball and this is the most important thing in the world to me. This is there, there can't possibly be anything more important to me than the NCAA tournament. So I, I just devote like every ounce of energy I have to this thing. And like when I do pop my head up, and it because you know it, like the games get over at like twelve thirty Eastern, you know at, at midnight yeah. Eastern on the East Coast, and I'm like I should probably go outside. Maybe I'll check the mail and see if if there's some mail. And I go out and there's like oh my god, there's this whole world that was going on <laughs> as all of those games were happening. Like other people were just out here doing things. This is crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, I, I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, and I like I like that experience my own self. House, you, I mean that that's a point well taken. This might be the adopted Angelino and me who you know still like looks for some quality of life balance. But if you are going to go all in, you're right. You should find some sort of 21st century cave and really just sort of immerse yourself in it. 
uh, full time. Yeah, Chief, I, I'm glad you confessed that it's that California softness that influenced <laughs> it. I'm glad that you said it, and I didn't have to say it. All right, let, let's get very specific and strategic about the food offering. So in the first place, Titus has tipped his hand a little bit. Mm-hmm. He's looking for whatever is path of least resistance. He's open to food product innovation. He's susceptible to mass marketing. So we have all those. We know all of those things are part of of his stable. Craig, why don't you outline for us your strategic thinking on uh, how you might tackle the food part of of those days? Right. Okay. So if we're out at a bar and we're settling in for a long day, you really have to think strategically. So for the first for the first game or two, you can't just go all in with like um, a burger and fries and wings and nachos all at once. Because you, I mean, you're just gonna tap out before you've even gotten through, you know, like the first like two or three games. So you have to like start with like, okay, maybe let's get a pitcher, and then like maybe. Maybe let's get some like mozzarella sticks going. Just like set like a little bit of a base, but not so much that right away you're just weighing yourself down. And then, you know, the good thing about beer is that one, it's filling, you know, so you can just you can you can get like a pitcher or so in and not be starving. But then at some point you do like the the hunger will start, but the the beer will sort of like um you put a little bit uh, of a pause on it before it really starts to gnaw at you. So I would say wait until like the need is really there and then start the rounds of ordering. And I would say just, you know, park yourself at a place that's going to be cool with having a server come in, check on you on a regular basis, do a few different rounds of ordering and, you know, a place where the, the kitchen isn't going to get so backed up because this is terrible too. You're finally hungry and you're like, all right, I want... Um, nachos and some wings and then all of a sudden it's like it's like taking them like two hours to get those things to your table because then that then you're at the point where you've had like a couple of yeah. pitchers so you're you're on your way to being fairly well drunk and you're starving and you're being surrounded by enough tv screens to give you a stroke and so then all of a sudden it gets really distracting so you have to kind of like time the food delivery into the system at, at the right time to keep you going, but not to like completely send you crashing way too soon. Well, you have an, you brought up an interesting point that I would ask both of you because I never watched the tournament at a bar, as I've said. Um, the point about like you have to go to a place that's cool with the server coming around because every time I go to a bar to watch a game, I get and this is just like one game, just one football game, one basketball game. I always get anxiety that like they want me to get the hell out of here right. that I'm sitting here for I've been sitting here for too long. Right. And if the server comes around and asks, "Are you guys okay?" by the third time she asked that and I've already said, "Yeah, we're fine. We don't need anything else." By the third time, I'm always ordering something else. Or right. like I'm always like, "Okay, fine. Give me another beer because I feel guilty." Right. How do you get around that if you're there for 8-9 hours? you just suck it up and deal with it? Is this like an implicit understanding that the servers are like, you're, you know, like all these people that are here are going to be here all day. So like, it's just sort of a, cause that would freak me. I would get social anxiety so badly if, if I had to do that. Yeah. I mean, house, I don't know what you think about that, but I think that's where, I mean, that's a great question. And that's where this goes back to one of the things that I was talking about during the sports bar episode, where you have to go to a place that really takes the sports part of the sports bar mm-hmm. seriously. And so if you're a sports bar, look, I get it. You're running a business. You want to keep turnover going. You want to keep people ordering. 
But if it's a sports bar and it's March Madness, you have to sort of like understand that there is going to be at least like a small portion of your your patronage that day that's there for the long haul. Yeah. And so so like definitely that's why it's also smart to sort of like parcel out the ordering because, you know, if you order a bunch of food right at the front, then four hours in you're like stuffed and you don't you don't want to order anything else. But if you just if you keep getting like this is why apps are just yeah. like appetizers are the best because you just nibble on them, you keep getting hungry. And then here's the best part especially if your team is playing like later in the day, you start stress eating, which yeah. is like, okay, right, even, right. If you're, even if you're full, then you're like, okay, damn it. I just like, I need something to like chew on here. So then you just get like, I don't know, like some like jalapeno poppers or something, yeah. which is pro- honestly the worst thing to stress <laughs> eat probably. But House, what do you think? Do you get nervous when you're, when you've been like in a bar for multiple hours? So the answer to that is definitely no. Um, <laughs> and, and, <laughs> And what I would say is, uh, I think for the for the uh, proprietors, the 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 the, um, the folks running these establishments, there's sort of three types of customer coming in for those first two days. So, in the first place, you'll get, uh, I think, at lunchtime because the first games come on around noon, some very devoted, very hardcore hoops fans that will come in and say, "We're here to watch the, you know, these these first games." Uh, and then they kind of say, self-identify, we're here for lunch. And a little bit of this is really like the, the social contract, right? You go in, and, and so there's one group that that of of, uh, of NCAA hoops consumers. We're just going to come for the first portion of these first games. We want to be here. It's a thing. This is a tradition. Then you have another group that might be arriving in that early uh, wave of games, the first stage of games, who self-identify to the the staff, hey, I'm getting here now, and I'm not leaving until there's no more basketball on television. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be great friends today, <laughs> and I just you know we're we're going to take this corner back here. We have that we have great sight lines for the TVs that we want. Uh, here's my credit card. My the one thing I ask is that you make sure this ends up back in my pocket at the end of the night. <laughs> o- otherwise, you know we're 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 good to go. And then I think the bar kind of prepares for a normal happy hour. They look for a little bit extra uh, pop from from folks who may, might have been stuck at their workplace, not able to watch uh, very much, that come and start their happy hour a little early uh, for, for the game viewing. And then a crowd that comes in for kind of the late wave of games. You Maybe you work a full day. You're at the bar, say, for like 6.30. I'm having dinner, and this is going to go all the way through to the end of the night with my uh, food and beer consumption. So I think as long as you kind of self-identify in the first place, you can get a good relationship going. But the crucial thing there, and the chief was very, very uh, helpful with this back in the fall, you have to know who, what, what you're getting in terms of the establishment. Is an establishment an establishment that's genuinely committed to the fans of the game? Are they gonna work with you? Are these people gonna be your friends? after 12 hours, or are you going to have to be fighting the entirety of the experience? And I think that's how, in the first place, you figure out where you're going to go. You decide which of those sort of slots you fit into and then make your choice of establishment accordingly. Yeah. So let's let's talk a little bit about Titus. Mm-hmm. You described your normal way of handling the madness and what you've done the, the, the first 30 years of your life, give or take, you know, a couple mm-hmm. years when you were born and probably not watching games, 
you are in Los Angeles, California, and I've been led to believe that you are going to consume this first weekend of games in Los Angeles, California. I, I, is that correct? Yes, I'm very concerned about it, if we're being honest. For the, for the reasons I already <laughs> okay. brought up, is that yeah. there, there is literally nobody here, and it may be in the world, who cares about this more than I do, and nor should they. I would never, it's, it'd be very unhealthy to care about this as much as I do, um, which is fine, and everyone has their lives to live, and, and all of that. So I'm very concerned that when I say that this is important to me, that I watch all these games, and that no one interrupt my flow here, I, I have a, I, I'm concerned that that people are going to hear that and say like, it, it's just kind of important to me. I don't think they understand the severity of that my life leads to these two days. It's certainly the first two days. Like the whole tournament's awesome, but like those first two days. I wait all year for those first two days. Um, this is something I, I grew up with two educators as parents and they were very hard ass is with everything. Like I never was late to school. I never skipped days or anything. The two days every year that I got to skip school were the Thursday and Friday of March Madness because my parents knew like, yeah, I mean, this is, you know, obviously this is actually a good reason to skip school. So like, this is, this is something that has been ingrained in me my entire life. And I'm very, very worried that these, as, as we've already established, these soft people of California who have so many, <laughs> so many things going on in their lives, they do not understand just how important this is, House. Yeah. So Titus, I mean, it seems like the best you're going to be able to do, you have two choices. You can either go to your hotel room yeah. and, and uh, you know, isolate, go ISO. Or maybe just invite uh, Tate because you need him along for the ride to be comparing notes. Uh, or, you know, you find like the soundstage, one of these sound stages out there at, uh, at yeah. where, where, where movies get made, you know, there at the ringer. And, you, you know, there's a there's a mass convening of some sort. And you just kind of try your best to roll with it. There's I mean, also, what, what are you going to do? There's also a mutual friend of ours who may or may not be my boss, who may or may not have an office with three TVs in it. Yeah. And yeah. I may or may not find a way to break into that office yeah. at some point. Well, um, that's but. that's the play for yeah. sure. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the way to go. That's a good place to watch games. What are you going to do when they walk in there with a big platter of sushi? Oh God, I know that's going to be <laughs> devastating. I, I, you know, yeah. it's going to happen. Yeah, it's I definitely going to happen. happen. It's going to be like we got burgers and there's like kale and avocado. On them. <laughs> I'm like, can we just get like a plain cheeseburger, with maybe some ketchup on the side, maybe some some fries. <laughs> Have you established yet, uh, Titus, who is going to be your 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 bar Sherpa? Yeah, you know, because you're not going to be permitted to just sit in in, in right. Bill's office the entirety of the of the viewing day. Uh, I think he's going to try and do a little work. Um, when you go off campus, have you established who you know your 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 cultural guide? It's got to be Kyle. It's got to be producer Kyle. Producer, producer Kyle. Okay. Producer Kyle. Well, let me it. make a suggestion. There's a guy sitting right next to you who's done a a, a shit ton. That's my that's the scientific turn right. of uh, of research on this topic, and has some some very uh, very good thinking. Yeah. He's he's experienced it himself. I mean, Chief, I think you should be part of this. Well, I mean, th that's a lot of pressure to put on one man, especially because I think I would like to go drinking and watch sports with Kyle myself. But I mean, look, it's a challenge. And one one thing about watching it in LA is in terms of watching in a bar is the time zone difference. Mm. The games are going to start at 9 a.m. out here. I didn't even think about that. Which is <laughs> like, it now, in, in a lot of ways, that's great. It's just amazing to wake up, make yourself some coffee and some eggs and turn in mm. like right away you know, yeah. like you're, you're like, you're hearing like Bill Raftery, like, like the, like the, the, the moment that, that you wake up. But there are a few bars that, that might be open that early, but 
LA is just not going to be the kind of place where it's just like you walk outside and you just realize it's March Madness. You yeah. know, it's too big. It's too California. So, you know, I think that the you know the the blend option of breaking into Bill's office, watching in the hotel room, and then later going out to the bar. That's going to be the play that, right. for sure. Um, that also will just sort of you know like you you'll you, you'll be able to build up some strength in the morning, watch some mm-hmm. the games. The thing is, you have to you have to make the dash quickly because as you know, once the games start, there's no break. W- really. When do they never? Yeah. yeah. So you'll want to f- try to find a place close by. Uh, and and also a place that will be traffic friendly. So I'm wishing you best of luck yeah, on, right. on all of this. Um, you know, and it just in terms of like places to watch um, around town that are going to serve like your particular mania. I mean, I I, I can't make any promises here. Like this is a tall order. Um, you know, I was talking to a few people on staff this morning about some good places to watch uh, watch games. Um, our good friend Paolo Ugetti, uh, mm-hmm. one of our NBA writers, he um, made the good point that, um, and there are a few locations around town, a place called Barney's Beanery. Mm. Uh, there's They're mostly on the west side. There's one in Santa Monica. There's one in West Hollywood. I think there's one in Westwood as well. So if you watch the one in Westwood, at least you're in like a college, you know, atmosphere at the big school in L.A. that actually like cares mm-hmm. about college basketball. Um, Barney's Beanery is That's great. Lots good, of, yeah. yeah, lots of screens, good food options. I mean, yeah, that, I can't promise. I don't mean to be... I yeah. don't want to be inappropriate, but you know, uh, I don't know if you're single or not, Titus. But you know, there's coeds. <laughs> <laughs> that as well, for sure. Um, are they going to like serve like the singular focus of a Mark Titus? Maybe. Th- yeah. th- 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 like th- that's the best assurance that I can right, give right. you is a maybe. But it's 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 a fun place. They'll definitely have the games on. Um, and you will not be wanting for like food and food and drink options. Um, uh, also, um, our colleague, Megan Schuster, our researcher extraordinaire, um, she pointed out that, uh, there's a place in, uh, the Los Feliz neighborhood that has really improved over the years. It's called public house. Um, lots of screens. That place might actually be open early. It's possible. Um, you know, it'll get pretty crowded, but if you, as we know, if you get there at the right time and establish position, then you're fine, you mm-hmm. know. And there are enough screens there that I think that the sight lines um, won't be won't be blocked. And the good thing about both of those places is, again, as the as the um, the 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 sun worshiping Californian, both of those places have like ample window space, and you're not completely cutting yourself off from yeah. the from the outside world. Now, look, I mean what. If I'm going to like, then just I'm going to sound like a broken record. But if I have like, you know, my ultimate place, it's going to be the same place that I landed on last time I was with you, House, which is Beer Garden in Koreatown. Mm. It is an absolute cave. You there is absence of sunlight, but what there are are screens all over the place. A staff that very much cares about the sporting event and will be even amenable to. Hey, look! Can I be annoying? Can you turn this one, uh, mm-hmm. you know, one yeah. screen to 
True TV instead of CBS. I don't even know. It's I don't even know who's who. It's, it's yeah, the CBS, TNT, TBS, True TV. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that will be a place that will like know like okay, like I, I know what that what that station is. Um, the one challenge with them, maybe they'll open early for March Madness, but they don't open like super early. So that's going to be yeah. more of a like an afternoon, evening, right. weekend option. Well, look, I, what I would say is I've I've heard enough, Chief. Titus, you are in good hands. You, you <laughs> yeah, have I got all, options. plenty of options. And it sounds like the best approach is going to be the blend. You're going to have some some morning hoops Thursday and Friday. You're going to have, you know, your 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 eggs and, and, and your and your free throws. And then as the day uh, progresses, you can you can venture out. The chief has some wonderful venues lined up. Uh, yep. Producer Kyle, I know, uh, has has been around. He and I have uh, connected on Sundays. He's usually still uh, uh, feeling the after effects of of being around. So I know you're in good hands with producer Kyle. Uh, I want to end with this, Titus. You and Tate are mm-hmm. slated to be heading to the final four in San Antonio, Texas. Yes. I have a couple questions about that. Have you been to San Antonio before? I went one time when I was uh playing at Ohio State. We had uh we played like our sweet sixteen and Elite Eight games uh there. It was the year of the Odin team. We we ended up losing to Florida in the national title. It was that that team. Our our tournament oh, wow. run went through San Antonio. So I've been there uh one that was the only time I've been there. So is that a, a good memory, a bad memory, a mixed oh, memory? It was a great memory. We won both games. We were there for a little while. Um, there was a ton of like Ohio State fans there. We got we got put up in like a nice hotel. We, I, as far as like the food, all, all I remember is just eating like steak in these hotels, and oh, it was like we just okay. It, I, I didn't really get a local feel for the food necessarily. So I'm I, well, I, I, we're gonna, I would be curious. We're going to yeah. change that. Yeah, I would like yeah, to, I would like a, to get a local feel. I demand that you and 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 Tate Frazier get out and about in San Antonio. We we have an emissary. I mean, I believe Shea Serrano has family in the San Antonio area. He can at least point you to mm-hmm. uh, a proper taqueria or two. Uh, and so, at a minimum, we we here at House of Carbs we demand photographic evidence. We demand some Instagramming, some Twitterizing, or at least send me a picture so I can see. You know, with some of that authentic San Antonio taco experience, please. There will definitely be that. I'm I'm not going to make the same mistake. I've I've had plenty of steak in my life. I'm I'm ready to to branch out into those. Yeah, that's it. That's it. All right, fellas, thank you very much for coming on. I think we've given the hungry homies out there a pretty damn good guidebook by which to figure out what what kind of uh, viewer they're going to be, what the food options they might consider, and the right way to tackle this March Madness experience. Thanks for coming on, boys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, House. Enjoy the tournament. All right, big thanks to Mark Titus and the Chief, Craig Gaines, for helping us navigate the thorny landscape of how to go about conquering March Madness. Before we jump over to food news, how about a quick word from our friends at Omax 3, the ultra pure supplements. The fact is, taking care of your health is a commitment and it can feel overwhelming. That's why I, Joe House, have been loving the Omax 3 ultra pure supplements. With Omax 3, you just need to do one little thing to experience big health benefits. Omax ultra pure is the purest 
omega-3 supplement on the market containing nearly 94% high-quality omega-3s. They do a cool thing called the Freezer Test Challenge. If you freeze any other omega-3 supplement, it gets cloudy, and that's because it's filled with filler. And Omax 3 Soft Gel remains clear because it's pure. Better yet, omega-3s are amazing at alleviating joint pain and muscle soreness. I experience both of those things because of my avid golf schedule. I don't really work for a living. These omega-3s make you feel your best post-workout and also post-golf round. They can also improve focus and memory, boost cardiovascular health, and more. It just makes sense to take a daily omega-3 supplement. Try it for yourself. Omax 3 comes with a 60-day money-back guarantee. Plenty of time to really feel the Omax difference. You try it for 60 days. You get If you don't like it, you're off the coin. You get your money back. Go to tryomax.com slash carbs today to get a box of the Omax 3 Ultra Pure for free. Oh, my God. I didn't know that was going to be the answer. It's free. Tryomax.com slash carbs, C-A-R-B-X, B-X. Tryomax.com slash carbs, C-A-R-B-S, to get your free box of Omax 3. Tryomax.com slash carbs. Terms and conditions apply. All right, culinary comrades, we have reached that point in the show. It is now time for Food News. Juliet Littman. Hello. What's up? Hey, I'm so happy you're on the phone as opposed to like in a studio. And that's, again, I, I keep expressing my fondness for when we have you abroad. You are at this moment literally in Austin, Texas, one of the great food cities in these United States of ours. You're down there for South by Southwest. I know you've been doing some panelizing, some panelizing, but also hopefully some delicious eating. Can we talk? There's a, there's a, there's a big change here. There's a, something happened over the weekend. I saw it on the social media. Um, There was an Instagram story that it, it came from your feed. I have no idea how somebody tapped into your feed. It was a picture of a drink Clearly made with Tito's vodka. It's true. Juliet. Bloody Mary with Tito's. I couldn't escape the house. We're here in Austin. They freaking love Tito's. I've been avoiding it as much as possible. I've been like, can I have a, a well vodka soda? Like, I don't want to try I try to emphasize it, which I never do. But I was at this yeah. event yesterday that was basically sponsored by Tito's. So I couldn't not have it. And yep. I had a Bloody Mary because it was a warm afternoon, as one does. And I was like, you know what? I, this is actually not bad. I was like, this is so good. I think it's because it was such a well-done Bloody Mary that the yes. vodka was less important. For sure. that That but is one of like the traits that. of the Bloody Mary. Well, so of course, yeah. I, I wondered if in that Bloody Mary, because we have established on, on the House of Carbs here that your vodka palate is, is extremely sophisticated. I wondered even if, if buried in a Bloody Mary, you could detect the particular corn effects of, of the Tito's and perhaps having that, you know, undermine your overall inclu- enjoyment of the Bloody. I'm happy to hear that that was not the case. No, it wasn't. And I think it was just because it was like a really good Bloody Mary. So like it, it just, it, um, superseded what kind of vodka was being used. But, you know, maybe I've been too harsh. Maybe I need to reconsider it. Maybe I need to, like, give Tito's another try. Tito, if we see Tito's in a Juliet, I'll, I'll know. 
that the the oh, you know no. the horizons are being That's broadened. Bridge too far. <laughs> All right. Speaking of bridges too far, we have a couple great stories for this week. Uh, let's yeah, jump in. Yeah. What do you got for me? Okay. Number one, let's start with a sports story. It's like it's like football transaction season, and as a result, there's some other transactions happening, including Peyton Manning sold off his Papa John franchises. This is a story from USA Today Sports. And it reads, Peyton Manning sold his stake in 31 Papa John franchises late last month, just days before the pizza chain relinquished its role as the official pizza of the NFL. Papa John spokesperson Peter Collins confirmed in an email that this happened. And after six successful and rewarding years of ownership, he gave up his stake. Manning remains a spokesperson and brand ambassador for Papa John's as part of a long-term agreement between the two parties. But Papa John's and the NFL ended their league sponsorship deal last week, describing it as a mutual decision. And uh, it was a rocky relationship recently between the NFL and Papa John's. There had been tension between the two businesses who first partnered in 2010 after Papa John's CEO, John Schnatter, blamed national anthem protests in the NFL for the pizza chain's declining sales. So there's a lot to read into this one. But I, I do think it's notable because after, after Peyton Manning won the Super Bowl, who was the first person he thanked? But good old Papa John. Yeah. He was Papa John's and Budweiser. I mean, Peyton is 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 probably you know a top five uh, marketer in these United States as a as a personality oh, and and you know being the face of the NFL and all of that. Um, and of course, you know his his State Farm stuff stuff is 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 legendary. But um, I I just find this whole thing around. Um, Papa John's and the pizza of the NFL and the dummy who runs that business, you know, acting like his point of view on anything should matter to anybody like, hey, maker of of shitty, mediocre, but fastly delivered pizzas. Just shut the fuck up. What about that idea? Like nobody cares what your views are yeah, on, on, on anything pizza. having to do with your partner. Yeah. Improve the pizza. What about that idea? Yeah. You know, in fact, I. This is a this is a good good note. One thing that I'm ashamed to admit is last night I didn't have a proper dinner and I was like at a party and there was Pizza Hut pizza there and I had some and I was like, what am I doing having Pizza Hut here in Austin? And it was embarrassing. But second of all, I just feel like delivery pizza. There could just be so many improvements. So there's there's you know a lot that these fast food pizza places can be working on. Here here's the thing, and this is the moment that I'm at right right now. I haven't had a McDonald's Big Mac in I I can't tell you how long. And it is because and I love McDonald's Big Macs, so let there be no doubt. I've probably had six thousand in, in my life. I mean, uh, you know, I I started at an early age. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you, you, you do the math of over when, when I started eating Big Macs and when I, you know, but the hiatus that I'm on right now is 100% due to the fact that when there is a burger opportunity in my life, I, I can't simply, uh, you know, go to, to the, the easiest thing because, you know, folks have been working at elevating the burger so hard over the last half decade to 10 years. And there's so many good good choices. It's a wasted meal to go have that at McDonald's. It's a wasted burger. And the same now is true, I believe, of, of pizza, which is why we see all these incursions being made by folks like Blaze Pizza or and yeah. ampersand pizza here in D.C. where, you know, folks uh, are, are have an expectation of kind of elevated ingredients and, and the delivery 
um, infrastructure is the same in terms of, you know, how quickly that pizza can, can get to you. So we're really like at a moment, I think the experience you just described of the Pizza Hut pizza was sitting where you were. So it was like not easy. Yeah. You didn't go out of your way to go have it. But it's like I just Correct. wasted a, a meal in a, in a place where I shouldn't have wasted a meal. Exactly. Right. And you know what, Papa John's, you got work to do. Stick to pizza. Peyton Manning will stick to football. That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> okay. On the topic of burgers, good segue, House. Good good job. Um, this is a story <laughs> from Grub Street, part of New York Magazine. Um, and it is a story about the California burger chain, Cali Burger, which I'm going to be honest, I've never encountered, despite the fact that I live in California, where they introduced a uh, robot to flip burgers and didn't go so well. So here's what happened. Flippy, the name of the robot that the chain Cali Burger purchased to flip burgers at location at locations, has gone on an extended break after working one regular shift behind the grill. It made its big debut earlier last week as one of the 50 Flippies that the chain plans to install nationwide in coming months. The Cali Burger and the machine makers Miso Robotics both insist this is the future of food, and are quick to explain Flippy is actually a boon to food service workers, not there to replace them. However, things didn't go so well. As USA Today reported, that after word got out about Flippy, the public descended on Pasadena's Cali Burger, and soon the poor robot was operating well beyond 2,000 burger a day capacity, and the chain had to pull the plug and run some upgrades. So basically, she wasn't ready for prime time. Let me be clear about this. Hey, Cali Burger, I, I can't uh, overstate this enough. I will not set foot in your restaurant if you have a mother effing robot having anything to do with the preparation of the food. I am so I out on on that idea. I'm out on the idea. I'm out on on you know what I want out of a burger experience. D d just don't do it. There is no scenario under which uh, a, a machine is going to create. Again, this goes back to what I just uh, observed on this burger point. I want it to be a little messy. I don't want it to be a perfect effing burger. I want it to be, you know, sometimes I'll get a burger that has a little more meat, even though they, they weigh the portions. Sometimes it'll be a little misshapen. Sometimes there'll be crags. And, you know, I, I, I like that in the burger experience. I don't want it to be 100% uh, uh, you know, the, the exact same every single time. We've learned, we've we, we've developed over this last, also say, 10 years, you know, we know that that imperfection in the burger, burger world is welcome. Yes, of course. And also, there's just, a, there's, it, it's, a, it's a food made to be, made to be uh, hand-handled, hand if that's a good way of putting yes, it. Yes, You make the it yourself, you flip it yourself. You, you know, everyone has a very precise amount of time they like to cook. And I just, and that, you know, it's, it's something you have to eyeball once in a while. You can't just always like just put a robot on it. It's for humans to do. That's it. It's a human experience. I, the, if the, the robot was a novelty, like come to see it, this convention, you know, it's a, at a convention and they bring out the bot and it's like, watch the bot make the burger. I mean, I can indulge that. But if you put this thing in a store, and think that I'm going to buy a burger and you're the things behind the counter back there and the people are working alongside of it. Get GTFO. I've been using a lot of curse words on this episode. I'm sorry uh, to all our hungry homies out there, but I just, this, this, this is a, a bridge too far, Juliet. I completely agree. 100%. Okay. House, one more story for you. Ready? Hit me. Coca-Cola. By the way, 
I've decided to leave the UK behind this week for a further flung destination, and that's Japan. And that is where oh. Coca-Cola is launching their first alcoholic drink in its history. This is a story from CNBC, and they report that Coca-Cola will experiment with a canned beverage called Chuhai, made up of distilled Japanese sochu, sparkling water, and flavoring. This, and they said, hmm. this is unique in our history. Coca-Cola has always focused entirely on non-alcoholic beverages. And this is a modest experiment for a specific slice of our market. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if I've said this publicly, but I've been saying it um, to anyone that will listen. I am dying to get to Tokyo. I have been, you know, observing the food scene in Tokyo, the innovation there, um, Dave Chang's experiences over there, um, uh, the, the the sushi scene. I, I have, have come to the belief that, that Tokyo, for me, might be the single best food city in on the planet. And so I'm just I'm just dying to get there. I uh, on this Coca-Cola thing, you know, I have kind of a knee jerk inclination to be critical of of Coke and, you know, the innovations, at least here in the States. I think in Japan, this this is actually might work because Sochi is such a such a big thing there. Totally. Yeah. The article goes on to add that. um beverages at certain times of the day are like highly ritualized and a big part of the culture. So it makes sense that they would use this market to test out a new beverage. And I, I think it also, um, it seems like it makes sense. That it's not like in, in these States, we often get a lot of very like capitalist craven uh, marketing drinks or marketing plays with, with new beverages. And this doesn't seem like it. Maybe I don't know enough, but this seems like actually legitimately a good idea. <laughs> Well, they at an absolute bare minimum, they used um, a, a great way to describe the goal, right? And in so much, many of these things that you and I encounter in these food news stories, where folks are trying something out, they roll it out in in a way that that is unintentionally dumb or unintentionally funny or unintentionally offensive. Um, this right. one seemed like a pretty smart description. Like we're constantly trying stuff. This is a particular market for us, a unique market for us. We're just going to try, uh, you know, a little slice of, of something unique and see if, if, if it takes. Um, so in this instance, you know, pat on the back for Coke. Absolutely. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how that goes. Maybe we'll get some more creative beverages here in America as well. I well, let's figure out. I really wish that for you. Thank you very much. It's very, very uh, gracious of you. I uh, want to figure out how we can get one of these cans of sochu from from uh, uh, one of these cokes, uh, coke sochu from Japan to here. How do we, how do we think we do I'm that? Reach, can we just maybe order? Maybe reach it? out to the coke company and see if they'll send us one. I like it. I like it. We we both need one. You need one, and I need one. We need a taste test. Oh, definitely. A simultaneous right. cross cross-country taste test. Can't wait. That's it. We, we, we do it so well. Thanks, Juliet. Thanks, House, and I'll be back in studio next week. Can't wait. Can't wait. In this March season, it's very important to have a game plan for ordering in food. So, of course... We have to have the Duchess of Delivery, Mallory Rubin, <laughs> on now for the perfect order brought to you by our good friends at Caviar. Hi, Mal. Hello. How you doing? I'm, I'm okay. It's a, a privilege and a joy to be here with you as always. We, we have established, I believe, Caviar is the best way to get delicious meals delivered from the best local restaurants 
Let's hear what you have lined up. First, I need chicken. I want yeah. fried chicken. I want mm-hmm. sweet chick. Nas's oh. fried chicken place. New Yorkers might be familiar. Now in LA, on Fairfax, on Caviar. Here's why I want this for the tournament. Fried chicken biscuits house fried chicken biscuits oh my god i know you kidding me i'm not kidding you they also have these sweet chick buckets perfect okay. for an office setting then i need tacos i need yes. tacos and guisados a uh, ringer yes. favorite is now available on oh. caviar so this is perfect timing and then house again it's the tournament need variety burgers yeah Need burgers as yes. part of my opening tournament stretch. Yeah, you, you and William Simmons speak quite highly of Cassell's. We we sure do. Give me some patty melts. Give me some onion rings. Give me some French fries. And then finally, Absolutely. of course, it's not the opening stretch of the tournament without pizza. And just so happens that Blaze Pizza is exclusive to Caviar and. As Amen. most people listening know, Blaze has a basketball connection, right? LeBron. This is LeBron's chain. and LeBron's pizza joints. He never got to experience the NCAA tournament, you know? So I think the least we can do is help bring LeBron and the NCAA tournament together by enjoying some red vines, some simple pies, some pepperoni pizzas. And house, of course, if the games are good, which we all hope they will be, we're not going to want to look away from the screen. We're just going to want to be able to peek our eyes down at our phone for a quick second, check the GPS tracker, see how close our order is, and then respond accordingly. Got to be efficient. I mean, I, I, I don't know what to say. You have outdone yourself once again. All four of the major food groups, that is, of course, the perfect order brought to you by Caviar, Mallory Rubin. Oh, my God. Get the Caviar app or order online at trycaviar.com. Pay no delivery fee on your first order and take $10 off your first order of $30 or more. And it's not very hard to get the 30 bucks. Order up. It's the tournament. You got to eat all day. You can get that $10 off the first order of 30 bucks or more with code CARBS. C-A-R-B-S. That's valid until April the 30th, 2018. Yo, Mallory, that was incredible. I don't know how you're going to outdo yourself, but we're going to talk again as the baseball season arrives. So start thinking right now about what your baseball menu might look like. I'll be ready. It will definitely include tears as I think about Manny Machado leaving <laughs> leaving the Orioles and me forever. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Well, you know what? You know what you have to do? You just have to find the very best crab cake that's available in Los Angeles. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. That's it. All right. Good times. Thanks, Mal. All right, my taste buds. We, as you know, have been checking in with the Ringer resident TV expert. Uh, Periodically, we've been having conversations about season 15 of Top Chef. The show finale was just this past uh, Thursday. Of course, we had to have Andy Greenwald on to give us his takes. I believe they're going to be hot. I believe there are some hot takes coming from Brother Greenwald. We are going on the cowboy cauldrons today, my friend. We are cooking. We are cooking outside. Cooking outside. All right. Um, is, so let, you, let, are, have you told the listeners that you're ta- you're calling me on a Sunday morning that this is uh, uh, we've just sprung our clocks ahead and these takes could not wait until the week. The, the takes would have <laughs> spoiled. 
<laughs> I'm so so. First of all, your dedication, as usual, is uh, beyond adm- admirable. But I understand, you know, when a take has to come out, it has to come out. We don't, you know, there's no such thing as clock or time. We don't think about no. the planet rotating around the sun. The the the, the, the takes come out when the takes come out. So so it, we were very appreciative. Especially at, at elevation when they're when you're cooking at elevation like I am today. <laughs> yeah, you got to thread the needle. That's it. That's it. So uh, let's set up from from the last time we chatted. Um, we were on the brink of the final four. The final four had been announced. That was the episode, um, maybe two episodes ago. And we both got wrong uh, our, our pick for the, the ultimate champion. In fact, neither one of our picks uh, made it into the f- finale. I am interested in your, your, your take on whether or not um, the, the most deserving... Uh, two finalists were indeed um, Joe and Adrian. I got to say, this was a really fascinating season, and it didn't start promisingly, um, but it emerged as one of the more interesting seasons in recent memory because the there was a disconnect, I think, between the season we saw as a whole and then what we saw on Thursday in the finale, and then there's the whole conversation about what happened at the end, which I know we're going to get to. This was the first season in recent memory um, and maybe the first season overall, I was just looking online and realized uh, that there have been 231 episodes of Top Chef. I've seen every one, and I am too My afraid word. to calculate how many hours of actual life that, that equates to. But this was the first season that I can remember that really felt like a reality show, a reality competition. And what I mean is, I, I don't watch, so feel free to ding this, I don't actually watch other reality competitions, but from what I've heard, the way people talk about Survivor and The Amazing Race is they talk about the gamesmanship and people who know how to play the game versus people who really are the best survivors or amazing racers or whatever it is they do on those shows. And generally, the thing that happens on Top Chef that I love is that the, the chaff falls away from the wheat over the long season. And you, the people you're left with at the end are these blazing comets of talent. And sure, they've been able to adjust their games to suit the, the, the capricious nature of the quickfire challenges or whatever. But generally, the greatest people, the cream rises to the top. And this season, I felt like we were left with some people in the finale who were very talented, and we can talk about them specifically later. But these are people who hung around in the right ways and elevated when they needed to to squeak through to the end. I didn't think that Adrian or Joe, until the meals they cooked at the end, were really like supernovas. Adrian especially was just totally flummoxed me because she snuck through the whole season. I don't think she won a single quickfire or or challenge until elimination challenge until the very end when suddenly she elevated her game. So I was frustrated with the finale for that reason, because one of the things I like best is when you see these people just, just, just like rocket ships take off. Yeah. So a few things on, on that, um, great observation in the first place, I had the same reaction as you in terms of the elevated cooking. I was reminded watching the finale of, um, how important it is for these these chefs to have the benefit of time and to have the benefit of you know doing some auditioning of their dishes and what a sort of transformative impact that has on what they're capable of um, because you know the the dishes that they served in this finale were qu- quite dramatically better than anything I think yeah. we observed over the entirety of the season. And everybody said so. All the, the the judges said so, and it was pretty apparent 
that the chefs themselves and their sous chefs. And I was uh, pretty taken by, you know, the amount of preparation. Adrian prepared two dishes that she has been working on for, it sounded like, you know, potentially years, at least, you know, several months in the lead up to the show. Let's dive in. Let's just get to the 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 final show the menus that each of them pulled together mm-hmm. and let's you know do the pros and cons of it first course uh, clearly and this was you know set the tone for I think a lot of expectations that followed um, Adrian was just on one like this this dish that she came up with with the spoon bread and the uni and then that that lacy tweel that Eric Repair personally explained <laughs> yes. whisking technique to her about over you must the cell whisk. phone. You must whisk the teal. Oh, I'm terrible. I mean, did, by the way, did he seem psyched to talk to her? Did he seem like he remembered her on that phone call? Maybe that's editing. <laughs> I think it's editing. I, I've, had, I've had Chef Repair on the podcast, and he was a very warm guy. And he's just like, yes, I, I am walking to work, Adrian. I am you know, like, was, was he annoyed? Um, I hope that not. That was a little sus. But uh, that dish looked like, and they all said so, just beyond restaurant quality, like like a visionary moment, you know, and and that set up, I think, a lot of expectations for both the meal and the outcome to come. Joe's very clever and probably tasted absolutely delicious when he flipped the Vitello Tonato, but compared to Adrian's, it just seemed like it was blown out of the water. Right. So so here's where I uh, I reached this conclusion with 20 minutes or however much was left in the show. When, she, when that dish came out and those ingredients put together that way and the two the teal was was perfectly uh executed and watching the t- <laughs> well i i tried to do that stupid accent the teal i think that's what it's called right I is lo- it the I tool it. or the teal jesus doesn't matter nobody thinks that i know anything about food um but what, the the revelation of of that dish all by itself. So to me, when when they when she unveiled that, they were eating it, um, and I don't recall the judge that made this observation. She said, "I've I've never had anything like this before." I personally was like, "That's it." If if every dish from here on out is basically a tie, Adrian has to win because of this innovation. Because the you 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 get bonus points for creating something new. And then that that's, so right out of the box, um, that was my expectation. Completely agree. And by the way, shouts and prayers up to the person you're talking about. That was uh, Niwa Motamed, who when they filmed the episode was the editor-in-chief of Food & Wine. During the editing of the show, Food & Wine uh, canned their entire staff and moved their operation to the South to save money. And so they oh. had to re-edit the show to minimize her involvement and rebrand her on the Chiron as a contributor to the magazine. Jesus. <laughs> Bad times for magazines. It is a cold world for media, but at least she got to eat that spoon bread. <laughs> she never had that before. She That's never a great had clip. And, that is a and great never take. will again. <laughs> yeah, you're right about that. All right, let's let's um, blast through this. The second course, uh, Adrian was blackened, blackened octopus with squid ink grits and fennel chow chow. Joe was mm. tortellini and brodo. Uh, so um, he, he the the the, the uh, my quick take on that. So Joe executed an absolutely perfect uh, version of the tortellini mm. and brodo, and and they he they he 
to his credit, was inventive with the particular um, handmade uh, uh, um, uh, tortellinis, plus the flour that they used was a very rare thing. The other ingredients, pig head filling, apple, black truffle, and then the braising liquid broth. Uh, it seemed like Tom thought it was perhaps the best dish of the entire um, competition. Yeah, the top of the season, clearly. Clearly, this was a yeah. perfect dish, like a ham head broth. Tom said it was more like what you'd expect in a ramen place, like the the, the, the fato e mano, like the made-by-hand thing that, that they were going for. This is an example of Joe using Italian correctly as opposed to in the dessert, which we'll get to. This clearly was a winning dish and essentially the dish that won him the competition, um, and that's great. The wildly varying response to Adrian's was a little perplexing. Clearly, people disagreed about it. Um, there were some on the judging panel, or not the judging panel, the eating, the, the diners, who thought it was exceptional and, again, brilliant and forward-looking. And then Tom, the hammer, kept saying, it eats dry. It right. eats dry. And it needed some more fat or some more sauce or something. That does seem like the type of dish that could that would be a winner if she had had a little more of the time that you mentioned. You know, if you fix it, then you finally get it right in your restaurant. Again, though, I give her a lot of credit here for taking really bold chances and combining things in an exciting way. He clearly won this course, but I don't think she lost it. You and I are in the same place here. And again, my slight nod. Now, I understand if, if somebody walks out with a perfect dish, then that person gets the advantage for that phase of the competition. But I would be, you know, my view is, is we're, we're, you know, splicing hairs a, a bit because of the conception, like this, this, the squidding grits, grits and black and octopus. I mean, I'm dying for that. I want to go eat that right now. I've had tortellini and brodo. It's wonderful. I mean, I'm sure it can be transcendent in and of itself, but at the end of the day, it's pasta and delicious broth. That's going to, that's going to be a winner. That's a winner. You yeah. know, you could give me a B plus version of that and I'm going to love it. So even if it's an A plus plus version, it doesn't to me so distinguish itself from something that's that's inventive, that's like a new sort of concept. So uh, that that's I, my, I, my I, view. I agree. I agree. And this is where this finale started to go down a route we've seen in previous finales, such as um, the time and people forget the season in general when Nicholas Elmy from a Philly homie beat uh, Nina Compton a few years ago, and also when uh, Jeremy Ford the the, the least interesting winner since Hosea uh, beat Amar. There is a <laughs> yeah. moment in these finales when I think Tom, the restaurateur, takes over for Tom, the mentor and chef, and begins to push for people who have um, who have executed with a certain professionalism and a certain precision over people who have taken chances or done the amorphous cooking with soul that uh, right. they had been championing for much of the season up to that point. Yeah, that's exactly right. It happens every, virtually every season too. I mean, that's you. You just yeah. named, mentioned um, very specific examples, but it feels like that that dynamic is there every single season. All right, so let's yeah. do the proteins and the desserts here um, quickly because we have to. You know, I want your full breakdown um, of, of of the injustice that I think was committed here. <laughs> I know, I think you you agree. Um, I, the protein agree. was unremarkable for for both uh, in the sense that that uh, Joe fucked up a, a ribeye. You know. He let it sit for too long. That's that's kind of like um, a big time mistake, as far as I'm concerned. And the criticism of of Adrian was they didn't like the way that she delivered her beans. Although her protein, the Cheerwine Bray short rib, 
um, looked delectable and everybody gave it a uh, high mark. So she did great with the protein, but the surrounding circumstances were um, less than effective. Uh, the thing that, that in fact kept Joe alive on that dish was his, his, the, the vegetables that he cooked. Apparently this asparagus where he juiced it and then cooked it in the juice um, was, was so was a real revelation for Gail in particular. Let me just say, I love Gail Simmons. She's she's just a national treasure, international treasure, since she's Canadian. But her voice in yeah. the finale, she sounded like she was out smoking asparagus all night. You know what I mean? Like she was so <laughs> hoarse, and and just she just kept they kept going to her talking about just these delicious vegetables. And it was a little. It seemed like she had been like hard living the night before, and then was trying to cleanse herself like with a juice cleanse. But the juice was asparagus juice. Well, I, I saw on social hoarse. media. And I don't know whether it's right or not, whether the um, timestamp is accurate. It, is she pregnant? She is pregnant. She is pregnant. She's yes. about to have her second kid. Right. So, so she had I, to I have been pregnant for a portion, right? Of <laughs> yeah, the season? I was. I think so. I was. Yeah. Running. She was not like, you know, shutting down bars in Aspen. <laughs> I don't, don't think so. Imply otherwise. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't think so. This is when the editing broke down for me in, in this course. Um, because they harped on the fact that Joe's meat was apparently not inedible, but it was too tough to cut. And right there, I'm like, that, that's it. That, that, you lose. You lose over that. It's a the disqualification. Third your main. Yeah. Right. And, and if you can't cook a piece of meat, then what are you doing there? Um, that's right. This, this, the, the retroactively, when everyone was like, oh, well, that was a good dish. That's bizarre to me. And, um, you know, we can, we can blaze through the dessert. It seems like they both named them incorrectly and they both were fine. They both had things that were interesting and, and, and whatever. They, I don't understand why they both did desserts, frankly. It's a weird self-inflicted error they don't have to do. But speaking to why we're a little bit heated about it, um, everyone listening should check out Tom Colicchio's interview on Vulture that ran um, on Friday. And on it, Tom is just dismissive of there being any um, controversy the first answer he gives is the first course went to Adrian. The next two courses went to Joe and dessert was neutral. So that did it. His beef was better and the pasta was better than the octopus. He makes it seem cut and dry and simple. That was not the, the finale they presented to us. Now I know he doesn't do the editing, but everything about momentum, about innovation, and frankly about that third dish suggested an Adrian win. And it was shocking that she did not deserve, that she did not receive the win. I, I was, I was completely stunned and I thought that they were being super cruel because they had just done the previous week the thing where they say, Joe, you've won, you know, when they when they he was expecting to be eliminated. And I thought they were about right. to do it again, which was particularly right. cruel. Yeah. But uh shocking. By well, everything the, the, we had, Adrian won. Your point uh about, you know, that the Dis, dis, disparity between what we observe with our own eyes in the show and what they wanted us to see and you know Tom's attitude I'll check this uh, interview out I hadn't had a chance to see it yet you can't have a diner saying that I am torturing this meat that I'm killing this meat with this knife because I can't you know cut through it and and get bites into my mouth and then you know in the same breath have Colicchio saying, oh, it was a wash, because the only criticism that was advanced in connection with Adrian's dish was her choice of how to deliver the black-eyed peas. Yep. There was a, a yep. beans issue, but not a, not a protein issue. And everybody, from what we saw, was universally supportive of the flavor profile and the execution of that meat. 
Yeah, it it, it, it was truly shocking. And I think they also, um, you know, they all have their own qualifications and the way that they score courses and what what they value. And generally, the voting foursome, the ones who are actually making the decisions, uh, Tom, the uh, man who wears clothes instead of having a personality, Padma and Gail, you know, they each bring different points of view to the finale. And I don't think and I think whatever, you know, if, if one has a particularly strong agenda versus the other, I think they do balance out generally. But we don't have a sense of what they're valuing in terms of innovation uh, and creativity and risk-taking versus just executing. And what's particularly strange about it is if they were just valuing consistency and execution, why was the meat so bad? And then why did they include all those clips of people saying that the meat was bad? Because, again, I don't, I, I don't want them to do this, but they didn't need to show us that. They could right, have sort of exactly. It a little bit and that was their choice. Going, that was their choice. So, what's going on there? I don't know. I mean, I, this is. It's been a while, I think, um, on Top Chef that we've had a winner who is just like, well, here's the culinary world's next great superstar, which is fine because I do think we're entering an era of more democratization in the kitchen, which is a good thing. And the idea of like flying too close to the sun. I mean, look where it got Paul Key, who ended up in some them both legal and moral and familial hot water, I think probably because he was way too out there in the stratosphere in terms of his hype and expectation and celebrity. Um, I think it hasn't been since Kristen Kish, since we've seen someone who really came in um, like a comet. I thought Mei Lin, who won season 12, was headed that way, but she is work, you know, she's kept a lower profile. Brooke Williamson, who deservedly won last year, already has a mini empire by the beach here right. in LA. And so she's... Yep. She's she's in a healthy, good place, and is you know, and is is managing everything very well. Joe and Adrian are young chefs who are talented, um, but still owe a lot to their mentors, I think, and are not quite ready to take that next giant leap. And I hope for both their sake that they continue to sort of do the work and, and build up to it. It's just, it, it's a strange feeling, right? I mean, it, it, this isn't worth taking to the streets over, but the t- the type of winner that we would prefer. Whatever that means, you know, and Tom, if we had him on the phone, would just be like, well, it doesn't matter. We just judge the food. And that served them well. But um, I think I think we'd rather see a, a more creative chef win for being more creative. But I also think, you know, I, I wish that talented women who make it to the final didn't consistently lose to bros. You know, it, it, I, I just visually and representationally, I wish that wasn't the case. I, speaking of the editing, wonder what the point was of having Adrian articulate that, you know, she was hoping to be the first African-American woman to win the show. And I also wonder about the production choice to include this, the, the nugget that her father was a Black Panther. And, you know, uh, so that that creates a, a kind of... Um, you know, framework for how you might, you know, uh, it, 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 there's a, a whole sort of linear narrative that goes along with her ex- experimentation and then and then the execution that, to me, I thought we were being set up for an Adrian win um, with, with some of those, you know, side notes. But she deserved to win based on my own, you know, way of having watched this show for, for very many years. Not, I haven't watched all 231 in the way that you have, my brother. But, um, you know, the, 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 she, she, the innovation alone, I, I just can't get past the fact that that first dish, 
um, was such a revelation, and to me that should have, should have been the thing. So I'm I'm capital D disappointed. Doesn't mean that I don't love Joe Flam. He seems like one of the most lovable dudes around, and I hope that we have him on the pod and we have a chance to to speak with him. And I'll ask him some of these questions about you yeah, know his own experience inside there. I, I I agree, and I, and by the way, my wife was right there with you. She flagged those edits and those comments as predictive, you know. And right. I guess the thing that I will say is. To the show's credit, everyone involved with it, they are aware of issues of representation and diversity uh, and gender balance in the kitchen and on their show. They talk about it. I mean, everyone on the judging panel was wearing a Planned Parenthood pin, which I thought was quite um, noteworthy for a show, you know, general interest show. Um, I look forward to them. I'm very curious about next season, which is as good a pivot as any to get there. They're shooting in Kentucky next year, which is very exciting, I think. Yeah. I think there's a lot of opportunity there to deal with, you know, the, the um, to address the uh, Southern foodways and also the heritage of Southern cooking, what that means, who was doing the cooking, what type of food are we talking about, what are we valuing, what are we celebrating. Um, frankly, it's a chance to have more diversity in terms of the, um, not the, necessarily the contestants, but the experts and judges uh, and mentors than you can have in a state like Colorado. So I think they are steering into these things. I think it is to the show's credit that you know, they have been pretty clean in terms of we, we vote for the food, you know, we go by the food and, and that's what we do. And so I don't think there's any sort of nefarious agenda here. Certainly no, 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 but, no, definitely but not. But we want, but we want more Adrian. It's what we're saying. It's disappointing. That's all. And <laughs> yeah, we, we want more Adrian's. We want to see more of that. Um, but it is hard to argue against that that final four or five people being, you know, in terms of watching them on TV every week and their camaraderie, their talent level, and the turn the show did take after Tom told them their food wasn't good because their food right. was super bad after week like yep. after 10. It's true. Uh, so I think ultimately a successful season, both in terms of look how much we're, we're still talking about it, that's good for them, and also they now have a new, this surprised me, some, an infusion of new personalities into the Top Chef galaxy that I think audiences, the audience is going to want to see more of. Yeah, I'm, I count me among them, um, with one glaring exception, um, Bon Voyage Graham Elliott. <laughs> and, and on, on that note, Andy Greenwald, thank you so much uh, for going along on this journey with us. We're going to have to find the Kentucky season won't debut until the fall of 2018. Um, That's right. So we'll have to find something uh, in between now and then. We've talked about you know at least a, a dozen different shows that have that have food shows that have captured your interest. Maybe what we should do is both uh, commit to a deep dive on Ugly Delicious. I know that that we've all you know we've been sort of grabbing David Chang by the hips and kissing him, putting big smooches on his ass. But the show is pretty, it's pretty, I'm going to curse again, pretty fucking cool. So I just want to, you know, sort of get, you know, from your perspective, um, let, let's talk Ugly Delicious sometime here in the next month or so. I would be honored. My appetite is already primed for it. I was going to suggest it. That would be great. Nice. My hero, my hero. All right. Andy Greenwald, as always. Thank you, my brother. Talk to you again soon. Stay hungry. Don't you worry. <laughs> Thanks, Joe House. All right, Taste Buds. As always, thank you for joining us. Please keep hitting us with outstanding food picks for our Instagram at the House of Carbs. We're, we're picking them out. How about this? Why don't you send us? What you are eating, whether it's at home because you've ordered in using caviar, hopefully, 
or at the bar your your wonderful array of apps while you're watching these fantastic NCAA games. Hit us with your best picks. We'll throw them up on the Instagram. Of course, we appreciate it. Anytime you go into the iTunes and leave us a review, you can give us however many stars you want. I know the limit's five, but I'm encouraging you to leave uh, you know, as many as seven to ten. You can figure out how to do it. Hungry homies, as always, thanks for the listen. Until next time, let's stay hungry out there.